time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. What up, what up, what up? Y'all look good. We got some remnants of 80s still going on. I like it. The ladies in their makeup, some of the men in their makeup. Good. Well, I will. I, I have to say from the beginning that the moment of the night, maybe the weekend, was Jared Newman busting through the doors in a striper outfit. I mean, I almost fainted. That was, that was too good. That was fantastic. Well, hey, I'm super excited to be with you guys tonight. It's October 30th. If you were wondering, that's the date there, Savannah. And uh, I'm here for you. Well, good. Well, hey, I want to talk tonight um, about something that we talk about a lot uh, here at DSM. And so I, w- I want to share a little bit of why we talk about it so much. I want to talk about the vision behind it, some of the, some of the practicalities behind it. And, uh, and that topic is the topic of prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. How many of you guys have heard us talk about prayer before? Yeah, we, we tend to talk about that a lot. We, we believe in it. It's actually part of our core values. One of the things we put in the vow. Anybody ever heard of the vow? Anybody ever, ever, anybody ever signed the vow? The second one on there is intercession. And that means that is a, that's a fancy word for prayer. And it's our hope. It's our, it's our desire that for you, for you guys at, at this age to become men and women of prayer. And for that to sustain throughout the rest of your life. So I want to talk about prayer tonight. We, we talk about it a lot. We, we say things like prayer is the most exciting thing that we can be doing. And, uh, and, and so we, we pitch the vision. It, one of our big things that you hear us talking about a lot is the idea of prayer on campus. How many of you guys are part of some kind of prayer meeting on campus? It's awesome. It's awesome. I believe that God is doing something in our city, in our midst, where he is, he is raising you up to be leaders in prayer. And, uh, and so for those of you that are participating in that, I want to say thank you. Uh, you are doing the work of the kingdom, and, uh, and so we are excited. But why do we do that? What's the, what's the reason? What's the motivation? Why, why do we talk so much about prayer? Why do, we, why do we, every time we come together, we pray? I mean, you can't come to a DSM event and, and not pray. It's just not going to happen. Every Sunday night, we're praying together. Every Wednesday night, we're praying together. We come on retreat, we're praying together. And why is that? The interesting thing is that... that People all over the world pray. I had the opportunity to uh, go on a couple different mission trips. Anybody ever been out of the country? Yeah, I've been on a couple different mission trips. And uh, one year we went to Israel. And uh, this was a fun trip as, as we got to go to Israel. And a lot of people got to go to places like Bethlehem. And uh, they got to go to places like J- Jerusalem. A lot of biblical places. I went to the beach in Tel Aviv. Uh, that's just kind of how it happened. Uh, but uh, so it, it was really interesting. When we went on this trip, we showed up at the airport. We were with the furnace and we had about, we had about 40 people going on this trip. And so we load up in vans and we're, you know, like we, we get to the airport and they say when you fly overseas, you know, you need to get there really early because we had a big group. We got there four hours early. Our flight was at 8 a.m. We got there at 4 a.m. and sat for two hours waiting for the airport employees to get there. 
And then, once they finally did get there, we went up to check in and they said, oh, wonderful. We have that we sold you the tickets. Unfortunately, we have no seats for you. And, uh, and so here we are, we have 40 people ready to go to Israel and, uh, for two weeks. And we're like, wait, wait, you see that you sold us tickets, but you have no seats. That is correct. And, uh, and so we said, okay, well, uh, you need to get us to, to Israel. And so they said, we'll see what we can do. So they split us up into all these different teams. We ended up spending our first day in Israel in DIA. And, uh, and so we were, at, we were at the airport in Denver the whole day. Finally, we were able to get, some of us were able to get on, on an airplane uh, and we flew and, and there's about half of our group that got to fly to New York and then uh, the, half of those people had to stay the night in New York. I was part of the chosen few. There was 12 of us, we like to call ourselves the disciples, that were able to, uh, we were able to actually get on a flight that they were going to hold. We were landing in New York and they were going to hold the plane so that we could run and jump on the other plane in order to get to Tel Aviv. And so we're on this airplane and, and I, uh, I rallied the team together and I'm like, okay, listen, we are going to have to book it. We're going to have to run. They are holding this airplane for us. There are going to be angry people on this airplane and we are going to be with them for the next 10 hours. And so we need to hurry as fast as we can to get on this airplane. And so, uh, so we find, we land and we grab our luggage and we just start sprinting down the, down the walk, whatever that thing is called. And we're, we're sprinting and we get into the terminal and I'm like, all right, where's gate B32? And we just start running. And it was the gate right next to us. And so we ran about 10 steps and then got on the plane and, uh, and we flew and we flew 10 hours or however many hours it was. We landed in Tel Aviv. We get to Tel Aviv, we drive uh, about an hour or so in to where we're staying. We've now been traveling in, uh, in some capacity for almost 30 hours. I mean, it's been a long time that we've been doing the planes, trains, and automobiles, you know? And so we've been trying our best. We're tired. We are, we're, we're grumpy. I mean, not all of us are grumpy, but some of us were really grumpy. <laughs> and, you know, and so we get to where we're staying and we're like, oh, sweet sleep, sweet Sweet sleep. And so we get to our rooms and we lay down and we fall asleep in lots of different rooms. And I kid you not, mere maybe two hours later, all I hear, (laughs) it was the most hideous noise I'd ever heard. I mean, it wasn't that great to begin with, but the fact that it was happening at five o'clock in the morning, when I had only been sleeping for two hours, when I had traveled across the world to be here, I was not happy. And this loud noise wakes us up and we sit up in bed and we're like, what is going on? This is terrifying. And one of the, one of the locals is, explains to us, oh, this is... The call to prayer. This is for, for Muslims every day, five times a day. They hear this horn. They hear this alarm and they spend time praying. And uh, so the guys in our room, we were, well, I, I, the girls heard the, the explanation and, and they immediately jumped into praying and intercession. And the guys heard what was going on. We're like, oh, okay, let's go back to bed. <laughs> and, uh, but we went, they had a call to prayer. And it was so interesting to me, the idea that five times a day, they would pray. We got to go to China on one trip and uh, 
were in a, in a village um, in the middle of China. It was a blast getting there as well. And, uh, and some of our team, uh, was, we actually would go to places where they were very sacred in, for Buddhists, Buddhist monasteries and different things. And, and they would do, they do this thing in Buddhism. It's called prostrations. What they do is they're, they're standing up and they drop to their knees and then they lay out flat and then they come back and they stand up again. And this is a form of prayer. And they'll do this time and time again. And some of our team went to places where they had, they had done this type of prayer so much that the rock was smooth as glass. Because people had fallen to their knees and laid on the ground for hundreds, possibly thousands of years in the same place. Smooth as glass. They would pray. We were in this village and there was a mountain, not quite as big as the mountains that we're in, but pretty decent sized mountains. And one of them they considered one of their holy mountains. And, and this mountain was covered, from, from the distance we were in the village, when we look at the mountain, it looked as if it was covered in silly string. I kid you, I mean, it was, imagine Pikes Peak covered in silly string. That's what it would look like. We actually got a chance to go hike up on the mountain and have a prayer meeting up there. And what it was is there are these things called, they're prayer flags. And, 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 and the, in, in Buddhism, they have prayer flags where they believe that they, these flags represent prayers and they'll put the prayers on the mountain and when the wind blows the flag, it's as if it's praying for them. They have prayer wheels that every time they spin it, it counts as a prayer for them. It's really interesting to me to go to these different countries and see these different religions and see that there are people committed to praying. And that was, that's an interesting concept. So I want to talk tonight about why we pray and what makes our prayers different than their prayers. Why do we pray and what makes our prayers different than those prayers? If you have your Bible, we're going to stay uh, in 1 Kings for a while. You can open up to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to talk about a little guy named Elijah. Say Elijah. Elijah was a good man. He was a prophet of God. And as I set up this story, I want to tell you that what I've experienced is I've encountered these other cultures of praying people. And as I've encountered Christianity and Christians as we pray, there is a distinct difference. And I want to tell you from the beginning what that difference is. When we pray, we pray to a God that is alive, that hears us and acts on our behalf. That's the main difference. And I want to go, let's go through in Elijah. This is, uh, this is Elijah. And he's, um, just to give you a little bit of history, he was a prophet of God. And uh, in this time, uh, they were in a drought. And actually, the reason they were in a drought was because Elijah prayed that they would be in a drought. And so there's a king, his name is Ahab. He didn't really like Elijah because uh, Elijah had prayed for the drought and they were in a drought and they don't really like me. Apparently they like drinking water and uh, they like eating food that they have to have water to grow. And so Ahab didn't like Elijah. And, and so there's this battle going on between Ahab and Elijah. And we're going to start roughly about verse 16. And uh, in my Bible, how many of your Bibles have like titles over, over different sections? Do you guys have titles? Yeah. Uh, in my Bible, this section, starting verse 16, says Elijah on Mount Carmel. Um, but that's not what I call it. I, the, the titles in your Bible, those are not the infallible scripture. Those, those are, people just made those up and put those in there. So I crossed mine out. And, uh, and here's what I wrote in instead. I like to name it sometimes, things I like. So uh, I put the showdown at Mount Caramel. 
The showdown at Mount... I just... Caramel sounds better than caramel. It's more Narnia-like, you know. And uh, so... The showdown at Mount Caramel. That's what we're going to be talking about here tonight. So, uh, verse 16. So, Obadiah went... Ahab... Or, sorry. Uh, Elijah tells Obadiah... Uh, in Early in chapter 18, Elijah tells Obadiah, Hey, go get Ahab. And Obadiah's like, Are you kidding me? Ahab wants to kill you. And if I go tell him that you're here, and I come back and you're gone, he's going to kill me. And Elijah was like, No, I'll stay here. I promise. I'm a prophet. I don't lie. And so, uh, I actually tell the truth about things that haven't even happened yet. So, I'm going to tell the truth about this. And so, uh, so, he says, Go get Ahab. So, Obadiah goes and gets Ahab. And said, uh, and told him, uh, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Verse 17, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Again, Ahab doesn't like Elijah because Elijah has prayed for no rain to happen and no rain did happen. And so he says, Elijah responds, verse 18. We're going to do a lot of this Bible story a lot, okay? You guys okay with some Bible story? Good. Elijah responds, I have not made trouble for Israel But you and your father's family, you have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Caramel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab looks at at Elijah and he's like, I don't like you. You're a troubler of this land. And Elijah says, I'm not the problem here, sucker. You're the problem because you're doing what this thing is called syncretism. Ahab is bringing other religions into, uh, into Judaism, into the people of God. He's bringing other religions in. And so this is specifically talking about Baal worship. And Baal was a god uh, at that time that they worshipped. And so uh, Ahab was allowing Baal worship. And so Elijah said, I don't want to deal with this anymore. So we're going we're gonna to figure this out today. And so he looks at him and he's like, how about you go get 450 prophets of Baal? And you know what? Just for kicks and giggles. Why don't you get 400 prophets of Asherah as well? That's another God. Just bring them right along too. You know, 850 people. I'm one. No big deal. Let's go for this. Let's see what happens. So verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah is not questioning God here. Elijah is looking at the people and he's saying, Hey, make up your mind already. Don't do this half in, half out. I'm going to worship God sometimes. I'm going I'm to worship Baal other times. And it's easy for us to look at this and think in this time, Oh yeah, they actually had these gods that they would make idols and worship. But how often are we guilty of worshiping two gods? How often are we guilty of saying that we worship God Almighty, but then we live for ourselves, we live for our friends, we worship other things, we worship music, we worship other things. So if Elijah were here today, he would say, hey, friends, make up your mind. Either serve God or don't. Get in or get out. So he says, uh, if, God is, if Baal is God, follow him. But if God is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, okay, here's what we're going to do. I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. There's 850 of them. There's one of me. Baal has 450 uh, prophets. Here's what you're going to do. Baal's prophets. You get two bulls. Let them choose for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set it to fire. 
I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. Then you call in the name of your God. I'll call in the name of my God. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So anytime you have a competition, you have to have some ground rules. Anytime you have, uh, anytime you have a fight, anytime you have a competition, anytime you have a game, there's got to be rules that everybody plays by. So Elijah is setting up the rules. And so what he says is he says, okay, you 450 dudes, you go get, or go get two bulls. And I kind of like Elijah. He's a, he's a kind of a trash talker. We'll get into that a little more later, but uh, right now, so he's like, you guys go get two bulls. And you know what? I'll even let you pick which one you want. You pick the one you think looks more flammable. Is that you get two bulls, you pick which one you want. I'll pick which, or, and I'll take the other one. Then what you're going to do is you need to, on your altar, put that bull on there, cut it all up, and then ask Baal to set it on fire. And then once you're done, I'll do the same over here. I'll ask God to send fire. And the God that answers by fire is the winner. Is that, is that okay with you guys? And, the people, and so if you look, the people said, oh yeah, I think that's good. Uh, what you say is good. They liked the ground rules. This is the showdown area. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. I, I just, see, he's, he's a little cocky. He's like, why don't you guys go first? I let you pick the bull. Now you go first, since there's so many of you. I mean, you would think he'd be like, hey, there's only one of me. Can I go first? But he was like, there's so many of you. How about, how about you guys go? You, we're going to give you some home court advantage here. You guys go first. So, so you pick your bull and you go first and, uh, and you call on the name of your God, but don't light it on fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, there it is. Elijah began to taunt them. They've been going for a few hours now. Elijah lets them dance around for a few hours. He starts getting hungry around noon. And he's like, I'm going to speed this up a little bit. So he starts talking a little trash. So at noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. Hey, hey guys, hey, shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. He's like, why don't you shout? Hey guys, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's been three hours. And he hasn't answered yet. But you know what? Even gods need a nap every now and then. He might be asleep. He might be... Listen, he might be on vacation. He might be traveling, little, need a little vacay. And uh, so why don't, you just, why don't you just shout louder? I like Elijah's talking trash. But here's my favorite part. Verse 28. So they shouted louder. They, they believed him. They were like, yeah, maybe he is on a break. Man, Bale, this has been a long break. My goodness. They started shouting louder and then they started slashing themselves as with, with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. I'm going to read through this fast because it's pretty gross. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time had come for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. These guys spent all day praying, asking Baal, Send fire, send fire, send fire. 
They started dancing around. They started getting all gross and beating themselves up. I don't know that why. That's weird. <laughs> but no one answered. Nothing happened. Nothing. And here's the sad part. As we read this story, there's a lot of us that sometimes probably relate with that. There's a lot of you that have probably said, I feel like I have prayed and prayed and prayed. And I haven't heard, I haven't seen God's responding. I haven't, I mean, maybe you've danced around, maybe you've prayed, hopefully you've never cut yourself with a spear. God doesn't like that, so don't try it. But so many of us feel like we've prayed and nothing's happened. James 4.2 says this. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. We love that verse. We just love saying that verse because we like to say that you need to pray. And if you would ask, then God will answer. And that is true, but we need to continue reading. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Ultimately, friends, as we talk about prayer tonight, I'm not talking about you getting a good grade on your test. I'm not talking about you praying for a really expensive car and just walking outside and boom, there it is. That's not the idea. I'm talking about being people. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm talking about being people that get to know the heart of God and begin to pray what he wants to happen. It's why when we have furnished prayer meetings, every time we come together, we, we pray the Bible. It's why when we come together for uh, DSM pre-service prayer, every week we pray the Bible. Because we want to pray what is on God's heart. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, All right, you guys have had your fun. Now come over here to me. He says, you guys come to me. And so they came. I mean, these people are like, they're like the crowd at the Super Bowl. I just a crowd. They're probably, at first, they were really excited. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be so awesome. And we're going to see some, one of the gods send fire today. And oh my goodness, what if this happens? Maybe it won't happen. I don't know. This is crazy. They had their big turkey legs. They're eating their turkey legs. Just looking out. You know, they didn't have any vegetables because they didn't have any water. So they could only eat turkey legs. And so they're just like, they're just like, oh, this is going to be so cool. And that's at like 9 a.m. By 11, they're like, come on, Baal prophets. Seriously, dudes. By noon, they're like, they're, they're cutting themselves again. This is gross. <laughs> oh, man, I'm done. By 6 o'clock, Elijah's like, okay, you guys had your fun. Why don't you come over here? I'll be, oh, thank you, Elijah. Oh, I'm so done with them. What are you going to do? So Elijah, Elijah says, you guys come over here to me. Some of this I'm interjecting my own opinion in case you didn't realize that. This, some of this I'm just, whatever. And they came to him. And this is interesting. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. That's significant. What that's saying is that these people hadn't been worshiping God. These people had allowed the altar to get in ruins. And, and in their syncretism, in their accepting of other religions, they had neglected the one true God. So Elijah took time and he, and he repaired the altar Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of the descendants of Jacob's to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he, and he dug a trench around it, large enough for two seas of seed. A sea is like seven times pi or something like that. I don't know really what it is. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, 
and laid the wood and then laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and put it on the offering and on the wood. Now here's the deal. This is, this is our little fake altar over here. I don't have a bowl. I didn't cut it up. But Elijah looks at the people and he's like, here's what we need to do. First, we need to build the altar. Okay, we got that done. Okay, good. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to dig a trench around this altar. And then go ahead and dump water on it. Now listen, I grew up in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. Boomer, we're beating Colorado tonight. I apologize to the buffs, but it's beautiful. But let me tell you, Oklahoma has wonderful things, mostly just football. One of the things that... You know, we may not be the smartest at all times. And uh, you Colorado people, uh, you guys know outdoorsy type stuff. You know, you guys are down like that. I'm not really like super outdoorsy, but I do know some things. Like, if you want to set something on fire, you don't pour water on it. Like, I mean, I don't know what Elijah was doing here. He was like, hey, okay, we got the altar. Dig a trench, put a moat down so I can walk up to it. And then we're going to pour some water on this. And so he takes water and there's wood. And he takes the water and he just begins pouring it. A bunch of water all over the wood. And then he's like, mm, that's good, that's good. Not enough though. Let's go again. Let's pour the water, pour the water. Oh, that's good. I like that. Remember, these people are in a drought. They have no water. They're like, mm, I turkey oh, I could use that water, Elijah. Why are you wasting that water? A third time. Pour the water. It fills up the trench. There's a lot of water all over this thing. He says, do it again, do it again. And then verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Sorry. Stepped forward and prayed. Sorry, let me say that. I'll, I'll repeat that again until I find my place. He stepped forward and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you, are the God, that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things as you commanded. Answer me, O Lord God, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. He looks at them. And he says, God, he, notice, notice he doesn't dance around for six hours. He doesn't jump up and down. He doesn't use spears for anything. He just says, God, I've done everything you've told me to do, which is an important thing because Elijah wasn't testing God in this moment. Elijah was being obedient to God in this moment. And he said, I have done everything you have told me to do. Now answer. And so from a distance, they looked up. And at first, there was just a little little flame, which then went out. And the flame became more of a fireball. Before they knew it, the fireball hit the water. And it burned. It burned on the water. 
And it said, and look at this, look at this. Elijah says, God answer. And then the fire fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and licked up the water from the trench. The water burned. There was no more altar. It was gone. Just throw it on top. It's too hard to put out. It's good. Oh, just if you just leave it, it'll go. Get it. You can't put out the fire of the Lord like that. You need more. Yeah. Elijah looked up. He didn't pray all day. He just said, God send fire and boom, roasted. It was over. It was done. And in that moment, the people knew which God was the real God. Friends, we don't serve a God that doesn't hear us. We don't serve a God that is distant. We serve a God that is alive and active. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't need a break. And he answers when we call. And everything, Elijah was obedient. And God answered. He sent fire. And in that moment, the nation was changed. I want to keep reading though. Then the fire of the Lord burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. It licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Go ahead and skip down a few verses. We're going to verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Ahab's not having the best day right now. He says, Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he said to his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Elijah looks at Ahab, and remember, Ahab doesn't like Elijah because there's a drought. And he says, Ahab, you saw fire? (laughs) That's pretty sweet, huh? I hear rain. Go get ready for rain. The Bible says that Elijah had had prophesied, said that it will not rain again until I ask for rain. So Elijah climbs to the top of the mountain. And he bends, he gets on his knees. And he says, God, send rain. Now, what do you think he expects to happen in that moment? I'll bet you he expected it to rain. Because just moments earlier, he said, God sent fire and fire came. So in this moment, he probably was expecting for rain to come. He sent his servant and he came back and he was like, uh, bro, I know that fire thing was awesome. Um, I don't see any rain. I just said, go back and look again. He came back, nothing. Go again, came back, nothing. Go again, come back, nothing. Seven times. On the seventh time, the servant came back and he said, Well, I saw a cloud. About as small as a man's hand. (laughs) And Elijah said, Good, go. The seventh time, the servant replied, There was a cloud as small as a man's hand. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. 
This is a really important part of the story. Because friends, not every time we pray do we see it happen immediately. Elijah prayed and God sent fire. If ever there was a time to have faith, it's right after that. Right after you call down fire on planet earth, you're full of faith. And so he says, Ahab, I hear rain. Then he goes, he gets on his knees and he prays for rain. And his servant said, there ain't no rain coming. But he kept praying. Friends, I want us to get this. I'm not saying that God is your genie, that you can ask him and he will just do what you ask. That's not the point. There are times we ask God, we pray, we come before him and he moves immediately. And there are times when we have to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. But if you're a man or if you're a woman like Elijah that knows God and you know that you're praying the things he wants to do, you can be confident. I haven't seen him answer yet, but he will. See, the difference between, there's many differences between Elijah and Baal's prophets. The primary one is that his God was real. The secondary one was that he knew God. We serve a God that is knowable. And friends, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know. When we say that prayer is exciting, the reason we say that is because prayer is God's mechanism to move on planet Earth. And he's invited us to partner in that. And so sometimes we'll pray and immediately, boom, we'll see a healing. And sometimes we'll pray and every day we'll ask and we won't see the person we're praying for come to the Lord for years. But if we know Jesus, And we keep asking, we will see him answer. We serve a God that does answer. 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. I love the Charles Spurgeon quote. Whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. If you may have everything by asking in his name and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. If you can have everything by asking and nothing without asking, please see how important prayer is. The reason we pray is because we serve a God that's alive and that will hear you and will answer. We serve a God that is alive and active on the same trip, uh, in, we were, when we were in the, China, in the village in China, we had an interpreter, and uh, we called him Monkey, and uh, because he had actually grown up as uh, a Buddhist monk, and um, he he was trained from age very as a very young boy into his teenagers to be a Buddhist monk. And, uh, and then one day, as he explains it, some crazy, red-headed, red-bearded American came and told him about this man, Jesus. And it changed his life forever. He gave his life to Jesus. Today, he's a follower of Jesus. He's given his life. He's currently working on translating the Bible into Tibetan. He, 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 he served as our translator so that we could take the gospel. We were in this village where they were training boys like him. They were training. We went and we saw hundreds of 13-year-old Buddhist monks being trained. And, uh, and so we were walking along around this monastery. And uh, 
And I trained, I talked to our team. I was like, hey, listen, um, one of the things that's really important is that as we do this, we need to be really sensitive. Uh, we don't want to get kicked out of the village. If they know we're here, you know, praying against what they're doing, they're probably going to boot us out. And so we need to be, we, we, listen, boot us out. Boot us out. So we need to be sensitive. Listen, uh, I don't know if you know this, but we're already white. And so they, we stand out. Uh, I, when, I got off, when I got off the bus, I, I'm pretty sure I was one of the first white dudes they'd ever seen. Um, These people were just... I mean, they were mesmerized by my paleness. And, and I'm pasty. And uh, I was like, listen, we already stand out. So when we're prayer walking this place... We need to be really aware of that and sensitive. I'd like for you to pray. Listen, God, hear, God knows all things, hears all things. You don't have to necessarily yell for him to hear you. And so let's be, let's be a little incognito here. And so, uh, so I walk into one of the places, and everybody's praying. And I walk into one of the temples. And like I said earlier, they have the prayer wheels that they spin, and it counts as prayer. And, uh, and they're spinning. There's, there, there's this huge, uh, it's probably 20 feet tall, and I don't even probably, I don't know circumference t- talk. So anyway, really big. And, uh, and I go in there and I hear someone just screaming, praying. And I'm like, who is that person? I was like, don't they know they're going to boot us out? I mean, we are done. And, uh, and I see this guy and it's monkey, the former Buddhist monk. And he is spinning that wheel and screaming and dancing up and down. And he's spinning it and he goes up, he bangs on it. Boom, boom. Hello. Is anybody in there? I don't think so. I'm telling you, that moment changed my life. Because I saw a man that had lived praying to gods that didn't answer, gods that didn't exist, gods that weren't real, and a man that today is living for the living God. And it's a big deal. So as we call you to be men and women of prayer, I want you to know that it's because it matters. It's because when you pray, God really does do stuff. Because it really does matter. But there's another reason. That's not the only reason. There's another reason. Because he's worth it. Because he is worth it. I want to read Romans 11.36. Romans 11.36 says, For him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When we were out here today, as we look at those mountains, do you know that those mountains were made by him? Do you know that those mountains were made for him? Those mountains were made through him. He is worthy. I'm just going to read the psalmist really loved this concept. Psalm 48.1. Great is the Lord. Most worthy of praise. Psalm 96.4. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 145.3. Great is the Lord. Most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Revelation 5, then I looked and heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands. They encircled the throne and living creatures and elders in a loud voice they sang, worthy, say worthy, Worthy. 
Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. He is worthy. He is worth it. Friends, he is worth your praise. He is worth your worship. He is worth your time. And the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Do you know that he is worthy of every tongue confessing that he is God? He is worthy. Let's talk about worship. When when we talk about worship, the truth is that worship is just singing prayers. And prayer is 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 just worship. So the two are interchangeable. Do you know that there is night and day worship around the throne of God? Do you know that continually there are these angels they're called the seraphim you can read in isaiah 6 you can read in revelation there's these they're called the seraphim the burning ones we like that kind of stuff we like stuff on fire (laughs) seraphim means the burning ones these these angels worship him night and day night and day they cry out holy 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 is the lord god almighty Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let me tell you about these angels. When when the Bible describes them, it says that they have eyes all over them. It's a little weird to think about a creature with eyes all over it. But what does that mean? It means it can do nothing but see. These creatures can do nothing but see. And they sit before the throne of God. And all they do is they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when that's not enough, they look again with another eye out of this side. And they're like, oh my goodness, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then an eye on their leg sees him. And they're like, oh, holy, holy, holy. And they just scream it night and day, time and time again. He is worthy of this praise because he's just that awesome. Because those mountains are made by him, the ocean is made by him, you're made by him, and for him, and through him, he is worthy. And listen, we live in a 24-hour culture. We live in a culture where uh, you can do anything you want pretty much 24 hours a day. Now some of you have a thing called curfew, but eventually you won't. And uh, if you want, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you can go and get yourself a hamburger somewhere. You can go, you can go, get, you want some food? You can go get some food. And if after that you're feeling like someone punched you in the gut because you ate a burger at two o'clock in the morning, you can go work out at three o'clock in the morning because there's places to work out 24 hours a day. You want to buy something? Go to Walmart. They're open all the time. We live, we live in a society that is constantly going 24 hours a day. Don't you think Jesus is worth prayer and worship all the time do you think that those angels do you think that they think they're wasting their time no way he is so great he is so beyond comprehension that every time one of those creatures that is covered in eyeballs sees him i believe they see something new that causes them to scream oh he deserves my worship he deserves every tongue declaring that he is good. He deserves my time. He deserves my giving everything. And, and man, I'll tell you what, if, if he deserves my time and prayer is the way that God moves on planet earth, then there is no better way I can worship him than by spending my time in prayer for him to do what he wants to do. This is a big deal. Do you believe that God is worth it? 
Do you believe that he, do you believe that prayer matters? Do you believe that he is worthy of worship and prayer all the time? I do too. I really do. God's doing something, as David said, among us, and we want to share that with you. And so I have a quick little video for you to watch, and then we'll get up here and finish. There is a stirring, a rumbling of epic proportions happening around the world. It's not elite. It's not original. Not complicated. Not hard. It's for leaders who would be servants. It's where misfits belong. Belong. Men and women that the culture overlooks, exploits, and mocks. It's for those that hunger and thirst for something real. It's for you. For you. You. It's for you. Prayer. Night and day prayer. Seven days a week. 168 hours. 10,080 minutes. 604,800 seconds. A volunteer. Misfit Army. It's calling you. It's not new. It's old. In 1727, a band of Moravian refugees united together to pray. Determined that prayer should burn in their community. They divided themselves up to pray around the clock. It lasted for 100 years. This prayer movement became a missions movement. 3,000 missionaries went to the ends of the earth. They went with one anthem. May the land that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. They weren't the first. They wouldn't be the last. It's It's happening happening all over the world. 2001, a group of young people started praying for God to move in this generation. These furnace prayer meetings were the fuel for desperation. 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 Quickly, they were happening every day, sometimes twice. These people stood on a simple idea. When we pray, God does stuff. Prayer led to mission. Students gathered from all over the country to worship and pray. We then were called to be the answer to our own prayers. Missionaries, students, teachers, musicians, bankers, artists. God is on the move. Still, the prayer meetings did not stop. They expanded. For a year, we cried out 18 hours a day. Not enough to quench the thirst. There's more to be had. More to be had. Today, it's your turn. Seven days a week, 168 hours, 10,080 minutes, 604,800 seconds, night and day. There will be prayer. We aren't the first. We won't be the last. It's for the nameless. The faceless. Those not looking for their own glory, but for his. Because he, he is worthy. Because it matters. Because it matters. Because it matters. Join us. Join us. Join Join us. us. May the fire on the altar never, 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 never go out. been having these furnace prayer meetings for a long time and they led to the the concept of desperation and uh, last year God did something in our hearts where he said let's let's go further so many of you have been a part in the first prayer room as we began as we began praying 18 hours a day and it was awesome and we saw God answer prayers like I've never seen before. We saw names of people that were once lost, crossed off, and now they're living for Jesus. We saw, we saw things when it said, pray for, pray for Becky, she has cancer, and then crossed over, it says healed. We saw those things. And so this year, we felt like God called us to take it further. Be- not because it's cool. Listen, God is doing something all over the world. This is not unique to us. There is night and day prayer happening all over the world. 
It's, even in this video, it said it's not new, it's old. It happened, it happened in the 1700s. It happened in early 1900s. It happened in the early church. It happened, it, David in the Bible had night and day prayer. Night and day prayer has been around for a long time. But we just want to say, God, you're worth it. So we're going to do it. And it matters. And so we're going to do it. I want you to think about what it looks like to have DSM, to have desperation, a minute, to have this group of young people with at the very core night and day prayer. In the video, we talked about the Moravians. They were a group of refugees that when they started to pray, they, they prayed around the clock and it lasted for a hundred years. That's a big deal. They began sending out missionaries all over the planet. It was actually the first Protestant missions movement. The first time, because what happens is when we pray, God begins to download his vision into your heart. And soon he calls you to be the answer to your prayer. As you're praying on your campuses, you pray for those people. But guess who's going to see them in the hallways? It's you. And God's going to start putting on your heart. Hey, maybe ask them how you can pray for them now. Maybe tell them about me. I don't know what it's going to look like. These people decided to go as missionaries. They sent out over 3,000 missionaries. The prayer movement became the missions movement. 1900, there was an, it was a night and day prayer movement that led to one of the greatest outpourings that actually birthed what the current, uh, the current kind of charismatic evangel. I don't know how you want to label it, but, but the kind of churches that we get to be a part of today happened because of people praying. Many of the moves of God, through revivals that have happened throughout history have started with young people praying. And so we just want to say, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if we have a group of young people willing to pray? Not because we're great. We're not great. We're, we're very much insignificant in the grand scheme of things. But he's not. And so it was a couple of weeks ago, we started going around the clock. And we want to, tonight, invite you to join us. Listen. I want you to pray on your campus. That is your primary outlet. That is where you're going. We want these prayer meetings to happen on campuses. But man, just know, when you've got free time, every hour of every day, there's going to be people at the prayer center praying for your school, for you, for what God's doing in this city, for what God's doing in this nation, for what God's doing across the country. And we would love for you to come join us. What will happen? I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's, it is a weird thing to think of a youth group that the core of what we're doing is we have this prayer meeting that just doesn't stop. That's weird, and I love it. And that's who we're going to be. The way we've broken it up is, uh, is 168 hours every week. And so we've, we've had, we have 56 prayer leaders that are taking three-hour prayer blocks and, uh, and so we're, we have every hour that they're going to be praying in there. Many of them are DLA and Furnace alumni or currently in the programs. There's staff praying in there. Throughout the day, there's, there's Furnace and DLA students coming in and joining with those prayer leaders. And we want to invite you to come and pray with us. And so as you leave tonight, we're going to have a few uh, guys in the back. And uh, we just made a little, a little booklet for you that uh, just goes through, and every prayer leader, it lets you know when they're leading prayer and their heart for that prayer meeting. Um, and so, so just as, that's just a tool for you to be able to flip through, for you, able, for you to be able to read through, because we want you to come join us. And it's not, it's, not, it's not because there's pressure to. 
It's because we're just interested in what God might do. What might God do? We believe that he is worthy, that he is worth it, and that it matters. Go ahead and stand with me. This is an exciting moment for us here at DSM. This is an exciting moment for desperation. And, uh, and I want to thank the, you for being a part. And this is a big moment. And we believe that God is going to do something special. And honestly, I think much of what God will do, I think as we spend time in prayer, is He will change us. He will work in our hearts. He will shape and mold us. He will put his vision in our hearts. But he's also going to change the world. I love the quote by John Wesley that God does nothing except through prayer. Man, let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people that get to know God. That say, God, what do you want to do at my school? What do you want to do in my family? That we ask him. And then we pray and we believe. And we see him move. And I don't know what's going to happen. We may, we may start seeing prayers answered next week. It may be, it, it, you know, like, I mean, talking about the Moravians, they prayed for 100 years. In 100 years, if we're still doing this, awesome. Most of us will be dead. I love that. Well, not, anyway. So I really want to invite you to come be a part. So tonight, for our... For, I just feel like it's important that as we launch this thing, as we launch this idea, that we start by singing prayers to him. By corporately together, because he is worthy, worshiping him here for a little bit together. Is that okay? So we're going to, we're going to, let's just, Nico's echo, are you you down to worship for a while? That's what you do. That's how you roll. All right, let me pray for you. Go ahead and put put your hands out. We're going to worship for a little bit. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for the stirring that is happening in our midst. I thank you for, as each one of us get to be a part of this. God, I thank you for the prayer leaders that are leading on campuses. I thank you for people that are committed to praying daily. God, I thank you for these prayer leaders in the prayer room. I thank you for people that are, the intercessors that are coming. And Father, we ask that you will receive all glory and honor, that you will be worshiped, That your name will be glorified on our praises, on our prayers, God. And Father, we ask that the kingdom of God will advance in our day, in our time. That you will make yourself known. God, we're asking for revival. God, we don't even know what you'll do. But we're asking, we're we're saying the big prayers, the dangerous prayers. God, we're Isaiah 6 saying, here we are, use us. So God, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, let's worship God. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.